This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, difficulty with the relationship, or just suffering from low self-esteem. If so, then BetterHelp wants to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and to help you. You get to talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network, and they give you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just need to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Join the 2 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And there's a special offer to Nowhere to Be Found listeners. You'll get 10% off of your first month, but only if you go through the link or type in betterhelp.com slash ntbf for Nowhere to Be Found. That's better betterhelp.com slash ntbf. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. And you can find the link in our show notes and on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Podcorn. Most of you guys know that this is my first time doing a podcast. And it's been a learning experience trying to figure out all the ins and outs of the social media platforms, the recording process, the editing process, and the marketing process. It can all be very time-consuming and a little overwhelming. I've had several people contact me and tell me that they're inspired by my podcast and that they want to start their own podcast, which I think is great. I think anybody can do it. When I've had people ask what steps they should take to start their own podcast, what I usually do is put together a list of some of the tools that I've used that have helped me with this podcast. One of those tools is Podcorn. So basically what Podcorn does is they help connect podcasts with sponsorships. You just build a profile for your podcast on podcorn.com and they give you access to a list of sponsors so you can find one that supports your cause. It's been super simple, so I'm really appreciative. So thanks again to Podcorn for sponsoring tonight's episode. And I'll put a link for Podcorn in our show notes for anybody who's looking to start their own podcast. You'll definitely want to check it out. Previously on Nowhere to be Found. The original versions of what happened were pretty pretty consistent a, a lot among the, the core group of people truly believe that there was something out there that people aren't, aren't saying and that they're covering up. People were messaging me because they thought he might come here because this was one of his safe havens. It just feels like he is gone. Michael originally tried to go to bed, went mm-hmm. to bed. Right. Um, someone woke him up by putting Molly in his mouth. Michael got mixed up with some bad people mm-hmm. and something awful happened to him out there and out there and out there. I'm your host, Amanda Papineau, and this is Nowhere to be Found.
Last week, we heard about how Natalie heard secondhand that one of the twins may have drugged Michael while he was sleeping. There's been no proof of this ever happening, and she's unsure if this is just another rumor or the truth, so she doesn't feel comfortable having it out there, which I really respect. Although I can't take it back, it's important for us to clarify that this accusation is one of those things that can really affect people's lives and relationships. It's important that we can separate what's speculation and what's fact. In late September, the Brysons accepted the help of an Idaho man named Brett Surplus. He offered his service to investigate Michael's disappearance. Tonight, we'll hear his perspective of the last six weeks. My name is Brett Surplus, and I live over here in the Pacific Northwest of uh, northern Idaho. I previously, um, in my younger days, had a uh, law enforcement career. I worked for a sheriff's department and then also for a police department. Um, from there, I pretty much did uh, quite a few years of uh, fraud work for one of the top five uh, major banks, and then decided to go ahead and create a TV show called Real Sportsman. So for the last few years, I've been the executive producer and the creator of Real Sportsman. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, I watched a couple of your episodes. Uh, kind of a cool thing you got going where you um, looks like you kind of follow some stories of some disabled vets. Well, what, what we do is not, it wasn't based upon as far as vets. Uh, I tried to get all walks of life. So basically, anybody who'd been through some sort of tragedy or accident, uh, what I would do, you know, look, watching hunting and fishing shows, um, you know, they're pretty much that same thing. It was that, you know, come watch me and and see how, you know, it was always about as far as how big the animal was and scores and all that other stuff. And for me, it just wasn't any substance. So I wanted it to be different. I didn't want the show to be about myself. So it was kind of ironic how the whole thing came about, but... I just figured, you know, it, it's nice to see stories as far as people who who have been through something, some sort of tragedy, they got a disability from it, and now they're trying to cope. And they're trying to get back to what their uh, what their lifestyle was, whether it be hunting or fishing. And so, a lot of them now didn't have really the ability to be able to get some of those things that were on a bucket list. And so, we kind of provide that opportunity to be able to do. So, in the show, the first part of it, I. I usually just bring in uh, kind of a, a recap so they can actually see what the person went through, more of a visual aspect of it, so they can kind of connect with the person. And then the second half of the show, we end up taking them and doing something that they've they've wanted to do. Man, that's a that's a really cool premise. I love that. Okay, so then from there, uh, how do how did you get involved with this case? I mean, over here in Oregon, what what's the connection there? Well, you know, it's uh, it's kind of ironic. Um, I've got a really good friend of mine who's a pastor, and um, they do a lot with uh, rehabs and things of that sort. And I ended up, um, I go to different different places, and I did some work for some, and and uh, I had came came back, and uh, it was a, it was one of the fundraiser events, and uh, I jumped onto Facebook. And someone had shared this uh, interview with Rick Dancer, and I, I didn't know who Rick Dancer was or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I saw his family, and uh, I think that was uh, there was Donovan and then the Brysons. And so, um, I'm you know listening to what was being 
being said, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd, you know. Um, so after the interview, I turned around and I went to the the page that they had created, and so kind of reading through some of the comments and everything, and and uh, there were some things that kind of stood out to me, and it just didn't. Uh, I'm like, wait a second, that that doesn't add up. And then I saw a couple of the photos, and, and there was one thing in particular that kind of stood out for me, um, which was kind of Okay, so who's this guy? He's kind of got that typical, um, somewhat of a maybe possible jealous boyfriend, the way that he's kind of, you know, the way that these pictures, you know, they were going in sequence. Mm-hmm. So I decided at that point to go ahead and, and I messaged uh, Parrish, and it was probably, well, I want to say a few hours later that uh, we ended up connecting and then we talked on the phone. Um and so they kind of told me as far as where they were at. And I think at that point they were 50 some days with no answers. And they just said, been pretty much just wrote off as a uh, missing persons, uh, you know, deal. And, and it's just pretty much been thrown into a basket. And, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, desperate to, uh, get some, some help. And, uh, they were just running, uh, into, into dead ends. And so I kind of had to, you know, think about it. So I told Parrish, I said, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow. Uh, I was going to do some hunting and stuff. So I said, I'll call you tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to chew it over, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I talked to a couple uh, friends of mine, some who were, who were cops now. And I told them as far as situation and, and, uh, kind of described to them what was described to me as far as, uh, you know, with this location, what the elements were, you know, as far as the drug factor, the homeless factor, um, uh, you know, the Bryson's, you know, kind of advised me that, you know, you've got two different camps. You had one that was, uh, I guess what he kind of described, it was kind of like the rainbow people, I guess. And then the other ones on the other side were, uh, were, were known meth heads and, and things of that sort. So, it was kind of a big conglomerate of risk factors, um, you know, so it's like, and then not only that, but as far as the terrain wise, uh, one I wasn't familiar with, even though I work in the outdoors, you know, I, I can know my territory. Right. But, not necessarily any outdoors. Right. Exactly. It's not like you're just going to all of a sudden put on boots and then know exactly where you're going. So mm-hmm. I needed to take a look at as far as, uh, you know, go on some maps and take a look and see, wow kind of you know how it was mapped out what's the roads from there and then just kind of get what i would think as far as driving distances between each one and uh so then i i called him the next day or i think it was two days later actually i didn't call him exactly and i think it was it was monday that i called him and so um we talked and you know i told him flat out i'm like you know for me to go away i i lose you know you can't you're not able to pay your bills you know so it's like if i and I was scheduled to go onto a hunt trip with my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I had about a 10 day window that I had to work with. And I know it was going to take a day to get there and a day to get back. So which would leave me exactly eight days. So I told him, you know, I, I can give you eight days and, and that's it. Unfortunately, I have got this planned. I can't, you know, so we went ahead and, and, uh, set out for it. And, um, uh, the, Next day, I ended up, uh, you know, hitting the road and driving, and it was, which was even the road trip itself. Uh, I mean, it almost felt like I was, I had just started a movie, as if I was in a movie, 
because it was being played out. I mean, the moment that I started to get into the Eugene area, uh, I looked through the rearview mirror and I've got this Toyota truck that's coming up blazing and I see nothing but cop cars behind me. And I'm like, they're chasing this guy, you know? So I'm like trying to get out of the way. And uh, I mean, yeah, my only thing was just to get out of the way. And uh, this truck was, and it goes flying and then they turn around and the guy tried to take off the off ramp and they, they ended up catching up because of the speed wise. And they turn around and, and, Kids stopped him, and dust was flying all throughout the fields. And Jeez, thought, that's right when you get into town, huh? That's right when I get into town. <laughs> so, and the, the funny thing was, I, you know, I call uh, Parrish on the phone, and I'm like, I'm like, where in the hell you guys got me? I'm like, <laughs> you know, and they start laughing. So I, I tell them what happened, and and, and then Trent's in the background. He goes, "Welcome to Eugene." <laughs> oh my <laughs> just, gosh, talk about was, eventful entrance. Oh, it was. It was like, it, from that point on, it was like, uh, all of a sudden, it was just like a key start. Bam, here we go. Um, wow. You know, it was night and day difference once I ended up uh, getting close. Okay. So, so then you kind of get to town and you meet up with the Brysons. Um, what was that like to kind of exchange? You know, they kind of had to obviously catch you up, I assume, on everything. <laughs> Yeah, when I when I talked to them on the phone, I, I basically said this this is what I need, uh, and this is the parameters that I I I want. If I'm going to show up, I'm going to call the shots. This is what's going to be done. I need you to get me a whiteboard. Um, I need the markers. I need you know there were certain key items to set up for as far as for an office because I was going to do it like I would on any investigation and just do a breakdown, and that way you can get that board working. Um, and so we met up and then we had dinner and, you know, kind of laughed about some stuff. And then they, they handed me, uh, a, a booklet that, uh, Mark Perkins had, um, started, which was really great foundational work because of the fact that it had the names and we had phone numbers and addresses. So as far as the contact information, which is, is just, it's pertinent for any type of investigation. So he had done a lot of that late work, which was right there in front of me. Sure. So, that's great. Uh, yeah. I was. It was. I was happy because that part, that portion of it was done. So, I, which is a that's a huge chunk mm-hmm. that's taken, you know. Um, so, that was a nice, uh, nice thing that I, I would say as far as walking in and having that handed to you, and then that way I could go through the person, you know, when he did as far as the interviews, and you know, if it basically for each person as far as what they what they saw, what they didn't see, you know, and. It was very vague, you know. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of people probably didn't want to really uh, give too much information, or everybody had some sort of uh, story. Yeah, kind of just a breakdown. Like, here's what you know. Here's what everyone said that they were doing at that time. Yeah, that's when kind of everything. Uh, there was one key key point that stood out, but I kind of just sat on it for a little bit because, you know, when I was going through the story, uh, you know, through the the comments on the pages and everything and everybody was so centered around four o'clock in the morning and getting off a bus and walking. And I'm like, to me, it was just, okay, that's a, that's rehearsed because they're all singing the same tune. And there's nobody that realistically, especially up in the areas looking at phones uh, because there's no service. And uh, these guys are, you know, they're, they're doing a bunch of drugs. I mean, they're at a rave, you know, so they're, uh, no one's looking at watches. I'm sorry, but I just, I don't, I don't believe that for one second. So I just, I couldn't swallow the pill of the four o'clock. 
just wasn't wasn't that wasn't from the get go was not working for me. It was like uh, that is they were looking at a different timeline. So just a little bit too specific, maybe like you know for everybody to say like, oh yeah, at exactly four o'clock or between four and four thirty, he he walked out and we never saw him again. It was just too much too too specific. It was too rehearsed. It, it, the thing, it was, it's pretty much, you kind of get that feeling of, like, after something's taken place, do you go, okay, here's what we're going to say. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how it left. And, and that I knew took place. There's no doubt about it in my mind that that took place. But it was the other stuff, you know, ideally that everybody who was talked to actually had a key piece of information, but they didn't know it. Right. So I was, I was basically kind of like highlighting key pieces of importance, you know, whereas everybody would just, oh, he just said this, or he said this. And I'm like, okay, well, you, you, you take a sentence and then you circle the one thing. And so all of a sudden you start adding these things up and all of a sudden they start to create this timeline. So that was kind of one of the biggest things. So I would just kind of, I would take certain things, put them in my pocket and I'd start writing these things down on the board and I start doing it from a process of elimination, so to speak. So it's kind of like writing out a menu. Okay. You know, you're, right, you're writing out all of these things. You're listing them out. I, I've made a clock. So I've got a time window from X amount of time to X this amount of time. And then now you're trying to basically like, you know, like a pie, you're trying to fill in those pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, it's always it's a you know piece to a puzzle. Everybody's got some sort of part. Doesn't mean that their that their puzzle piece actually fits with that other component. So you've really got to start taking apart what's really being said. So when there's something like this is going on, people kind of tend to get a tunnel vision, so they start to look in one direction because they they're pretty much sold on it. And then you know, as they're talking, just listen because then the more that they talk, the more things they start to remember because it just all of a sudden starts to click. You know, mm-hmm. the things that they remember. They didn't say in the beginning, but all of a sudden here it is now. Right. And so I knew with having 50 some days that whatever original stories or whatever was told to, you know, to Mark or to whoever else in the beginning, they were going to change. They were going to evolve. They always do. So uh, that's why I wanted to kind of have my own uh, interviews. And then there was ones I wanted to do by myself because there was there's things that are different. I knew that there were, there have been, you know, people I talked to certain individuals, but they had the Bryson's with them. And that's, that's the biggest problem right there. I'm like, you can't have that because people, um, they're sitting in front of people who are hurting. And at the same time, the last thing they want to do is diminish that their own child or their own family member to their face. Mm -hmm. So they're going to, they're going to withhold certain things. And it's those little things so that's why it was important to go, you know, so anytime I did an interview, I would, I would tell Parrish, I need you to leave. So that way I could go ahead and have more personable time to actually get down to the more specific stuff that was being withheld. Okay. And was that pretty early on, you feel like, in these in your nine days where you kind of started to... Um... You know, it, it was because basically when I, when I walked into the into this thing, it was, there was three variables. And so I... I started on one variable because this is where everybody thought this is exactly this. It has to be this. These, this group of individuals who deal with as far as meth and they have, you know, extensive criminal history and they're just, you know, everybody thinks as far as they're bad and that, uh, you know, these are the bad guys, the bad guys, the bad guys. And so. Are we talking within that group that was there? No. Okay. No. Okay. No. Just to be clear. 
Yeah, different camp. And it's just because as far as the criminal history is concerned and stuff like that. And, you know, law enforcement, they are known to law enforcement and they've been known to where there's, you know, been instances where it's like they make sure that they take more than two or three officers when they have to deal with these subjects. So for me, I wanted to be tactically prepared because of that fact that, you know, these are the things that I was, you know, explained to me before I showed up. So I was going to make sure that no matter the element, I was going to be prepared for it. Yeah. Even talking to Mark, I mean, he said uh, something similar, like these are not people. He said, you know, I've worked in Oakland, in Compton, in some super sketchy areas. And like these these people who are up there, some of them are with, you know, they're with those people. They're the they're some of the, the real bad guys. And it can right. be a dangerous situation. So sounds like you just wanted to kind of be prepared for yeah. whatever was going to happen. I did. When it came down to... The first day, um, there was talk as far as drop sites that this individual had. And so I said, I want to, I want to go there first because I know, you know, people are creatures of habit, especially when it comes to people who are, um, have had a long addiction with meth. They just seem to follow the same pattern. So we ended up going up to this spot and, um, we were told, you know, cause, uh, Randy, who, uh, was, doing a lot of the drone stuff said, yeah, there's these two vehicles that are up there and they're sitting at this spot and someone knocked a tree down. So Hmm. I'm like, I want to go there. And so we ended up going there and I walked past. And of course, I don't know what I'm going to be getting, but, uh, and Paris said, yeah, I, I was here two days ago and took a look and I didn't think much. And so I go into this flat spot and there's one vehicle and it's like some old Datsun that's been sitting there, some, you know, which I'm sure somebody stole it and put it for, for parts or whatever. And then I look down a little bit of an embankment and there's another vehicle there because the, the vehicle was basically ran off the edge and then it ran into a tree and the doors busted open. And so then all the stuff kind of shot out of it, the glass and everything. And, uh, but what they did was they had cut down a red fir tree and it was fresh and i knew it had been within 30 days i'm like okay wait a second so we got two fresh trees that have been dropped we got one that was purposely dropped on this car what was the reason why they dropped it on this car and how so far I, was that from from hobo like how um it would you'd have to go back up one of the roads so basically you'd be coming down and then going up one of the roads uh are we thinking like walking distance or driving has to be driving no, all driving has yeah, to be driving okay yeah you'd have to drive my thought was, um, okay, there's a reason why these, this car's been pushed. And so I went down the hill and I'm looking at the car and as I'm examining it, I noticed that, you know, before I got there, we had a huge windstorm. And so I'm looking and I see that there's no pine needles on the glass and nothing as far as, uh, grown into the, the light, uh, covers that had popped off. I'm like going, this is recently dumped. So they recently did this. They don't want this car coming up. So I start to look underneath the vehicle, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I look as far as the tires and the lobe under, underneath it, and it looks like, I can't tell really, but if it's got some sort of fresh dug up. So that's when my heart starts racing, and I'm thinking right then and there, I'm like, um, what's the possibility that they brought them here and they dug a hole and decided to push a car over it? Right. Then- so basically what you're saying is you see – you see um, a car, and underneath the car, it almost looks like the dirt is disturbed enough to where maybe something yeah. happened there. And then somebody fell a tree on top of that car. Well, and, it, was behind, it was directly behind the car. Okay, directly behind. The, but two trees were dropped. So there's there's kind of a lot going on here to to yeah. kind of show you that you're thinking there might be something going on under this car. Exactly. 
So, okay. you know, my heart started racing. And so I look at Parrish and I said, um, I said, I don't know. I says, but we need to look underneath this car. I said, because this car was pushed on purpose. They dropped these trees on purpose and it's all been within the last 30 days. Uh, so we need to get some chainsaws up here and we need to get a tow truck and we need to pull this rig up. So we went back into town and uh, that's when um, I ended up calling the uh, sheriff's department just to talk to, to the detective just to make him aware that, hey, I you know, potentially might have found something um, mm-hmm. and that uh, I'll let him know if, you know, we end up uncovering something. And uh, and is this somebody's uh, like private property? Like, are you having to deal with the, the property owners at this point or? No, this is actually this. This was a national forest. So, OK, so some, it's not private. No, they they drop, they drop it up there, and so uh, so he ends up. Uh, Parrish calls for some help, and uh, he gets a hold of his brother-in-law, and um, we tell his brother-in-law, "It's like, hey, um, you know, because because of the fact that we know who the person is that had who potentially had, had taken these vehicles, and he's of course one of the ones who's you know been brought up so much. I want to make sure that we have in case because th- this person was." coming up and down the road quite a bit frequenting and my thing was is if we have an altercation with the guy i don't know whether or not we're going to get into some sort of shootout or something or if he's going to go berserk so i was mm-hmm. didn't wasn't, wasn't going to take any chances so i just said hey uh we need some chainsaws we need a tow truck and i want a couple guys uh, up here who are armed and i want uh, I want a couple of them to sit at the front of that road and then we'll have the radios and if anybody comes up uh you know uh, that way we can get notified. And so, were, was law enforcement able to help you at all with that? Or did you guys try no, try, try and no. get them and they weren't part of any of that? No, they were pretty much on the uh, go ahead and let us know what you find. Really? So, okay. And so you're saying these people that were brought up a bunch. Uh, who? So at that point, you kind of suspected that you knew whose car that might be or be connected to? Yeah, it was basically um, I had... Um, I had talked to uh, someone who had been in relations with that subject, mm-hmm. and so, and in fact, they had actually had been there. Yeah, so at that point, we didn't know. We just, I just knew it was the dumping grounds, and so uh, Parrish's brother-in-law, he ended up showing up. He actually had uh, a tow truck, and he had brought some friends, and which is the this is the funniest part of the whole thing uh, because there is humor. There was there was some fun joking around. Not kidding, you really. During this whole thing, it's not. It's, it, there was a lot of there was a lot of funny stuff, but the Brysons definitely um, seem to have a good uh, a good positive sense of humor oh, yeah. in all of this, and so yeah, that's that's uh, pretty amazing on their end. But good, I'm glad there was it wasn't all uh, you know super yeah. super no, dark and tough. It was uh, so he he shows up, and I, I'm expecting you know a bunch of young maybe some redneck patriots or something. You know, we're going to show up, and all of a sudden this caravan pulls up, and I'm like. Huh. And I and I look and there's this guy, this older older guy, and, and then I look at the passenger and it, it looks like Uncle Cy from uh Duck Dynasty. <laughs> oh, I'm trying not to laugh. And so I get back in the car and I tell Parrish, I said, I said, Well, I asked for backup and you guys show up with Jack Sparrow and Uncle Cy. <laughs> 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 he lost it. I mean, it was we were, I we were crying, laughing. It was so funny. But there were some really good dudes, and uh, they did they did a good job as far as watching the front. And uh, so we ended up making our way back down to go. Um, you know, we needed to, to 
cut the trees out. There was one at the main part where this road was, and so we had to cut it out so that we could get the tow truck back there and then try to cut the other tree out of the way and then pull that car up. And Mm -hmm. so we did that. And at that point, you know, all the emotions are really starting to, I mean, everybody's really tense right now because it's like, is this the moment of truth? You know, it's like you're, you can feel your heart coming through your chest, you know, yeah. the moment that you're going to, and I told, I told him, I said, Hey, we only need to pull that car up 10 feet. We don't need to pull it all the way out of there. Just pull it up 10 feet so that we can look underneath it. And then from there, we know whether or not we're going to go ahead and move it. Mm-hmm. And so before we, we went ahead and started to pull it up, I thought, you know, now's a really good time. I think we should probably pray. And, uh, so we did. So all, all, all us guys got in kind of a circle and, and, uh, we took a moment. We, you know, we prayed, uh, you know, if this was it, that this be the answer. And, uh, and if it's not, then we'll continue. And it was very, kind of a very somber moment before this whole thing is that yeah. you're scared at the same time, you know, because then, you know, you got an answer. That's the worst feeling in the world, you know? Right. At least it would be step one. You know, yeah, there would still be things that we don't know, but it would be a really nice thing to not have to wonder. Right. You know, where is he? Yeah, and it was. And so we ended up, um, and I told uh, Parrish, I said, you know, uh, no matter what happens, I want you to stay up by the tow truck. I don't want you to come down. Um, just because, you know, being a parent, it's just one of those things where this isn't the vision I want any parent to have. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was like, let, let me deal with it and we'll, you know, go from there. And so we pulled that vehicle up and surprisingly, there was nothing. Uh, no disturbed turf underneath. And so, which was kind of really awkward. It's like, well, why would you take a car that was flat and, and shove it off? And then, of course, we, you know, find out, of course, it's stolen. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but the nice thing about that was we did end up, uh, dragging it out of there and, and it was uh, returned back to the owner, which, uh, so, so oh, that's nice. Huh. Yeah. A little silver well, lining there. We'll take it. Yeah. Stolen vehicle case that we saw for Lane County and, and handed them. Their cases, there you go, that's solved. And so, but that was day one, you know, and uh, wow. so it was very tense roller coaster stuff, you know? Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that was day one. You know, through the whole thing, it ended up being, to, you know, you go to the next day and you start to, you know, you talk to somebody else and then, then you got clarification on this. And then another, all of a sudden, bam, uh, we ended up, you know, uncovering another case and it ended up being a um, unemployment fraud uh scam that was going on that these uh this married couple were going around to the homeless people and to these uh, uh people with drugs and getting their social security numbers and then you know handing them some money and then filling out the information through the state of california and then having um these refillable unemployment cards sent to them so Wait, so you you okay. uncovered that well, yeah, Parrish had told me, he said, yeah, somebody, they had said that someone was doing this around there. And so when I did the interview, um, I got, you know, one of the witnesses and she went ahead and, and, and verified that she had signed up for it. And then, of course, verified as far as who was doing it. Then it ended up rolling down to where it's like, okay, we're going to go into the next day. And I, so I know who's involved with, with the unemployment scam. And so we go to do some more look in. Uh, so then the next following day, this is the third day, I said, you know, I want to get up on this road, take me up on this road, because uh, they were talking about this cliff edge that was, they were talking for people, need people to get some repelling stuff because it was like 
three, 400 yards down. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to repel. I'm going to go down it. So they were, you know, they were doing stuff with the drones. So they were above looking at certain shells because this, this whole rock ledge had come out. And so at that point, I'm thinking to myself, okay, did, did they toss them off the road? You know, did they toss them off this cliff? Because, you know, it was like something you see like at a Rambo where they, you know, fall off. It was like way down there. And then if they're, with the trees that were coming through, you'd never see them down by the creek bed okay. unless you're down there. So I, I went down and, you know, and that's the one thing about the landscape is it's so deceiving because you can have a whole bed of moss and then you go to step on it and it's a bunch of shell rock and next thing you know you're cutting up your legs and you're falling and, and I ended up taking uh, a couple of tumbles and and uh, I got I still got the in fact I think I'm gonna probably have a couple scars on my shins from from going down uh, but I ended up the last probably 40 yards I ended up going all the way down on my rear end till I hit the bottom uh, and then you know so then I you know you get down to this area and that was probably one of the biggest things as far as why I wanted to bring uh, my my sidearms and stuff is because, you know, the, the bear uh, populations that you guys have, you know, you guys do have one. And, and especially around these, these rock ledges and stuff, that's a typical hangout. So I really wanted to make sure I had my rifle with me. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I got down to the spot and it was it was very eerie. You know, it was it was kind of. Uh, like a fortress you know as if uh you had this creek bed down below but then you had this kind of big makeshift or this big uh rock cliff edge coming out that i was under and you know i would start to see where bear had been working it and so i started to get a little nervous you know going okay there's a there's a bear working in here and so you know my heart's kind of pounding i'm by myself i got no radio i know they're way up top and i start to go uh, in further and all of a sudden i start to find bones so then my heart really started to race and i'm like okay so i start to really kind of examine some bones i'm trying to figure out and determine okay is this this human bone is it animal bone stuff like that and then i'm also aging wise you know what bone's going to look like after 60 days and, and that sort of stuff and so once i kind of got through it or whatever you know i figured you know it was pretty much a small deer or something and it had been there for quite a while and And is that something uh that you know of from your uh kind of outdoorsman hunting experience or is that a law enforcement skill or where your age i mean you're able to go down there kind of check it out i mean to be honest if i saw a bone i wouldn't be able to tell you necessarily what it came from you know it's actually that actually come from you know the the years of being a hunter you know i was in the woods since i was uh, my dad started walking us around when we were three you know Mm -hmm. and whether he got or not you know we were just pretty much it was just just to get us out there but you kind of get to know because when when something gets chewed through it there's certain fibers that come through and you can tell as far as the age on the fibers and things of that sort and of course coloration is always a big thing too so sure yeah that's really interesting all right but you decided you know best guess small deer or something along that line Right. Okay. Yeah. So I just like, okay, that's, you know, that's not uh, anything. And then, you know, I get to a spot and there was a big kind of a hole and I really couldn't get to it. And it was making me nervous because I had seen, you know, that there was, there were some bear uh, tracks that were coming through there. So I knew that there was a pretty decent sized bear that was working that under, you know, underneath that because, uh, you know, it's pretty remote by itself. He's not bothered by anything. So I started to get, get back out of there and and I, I figured you know if anything what i'll do is i'll get back up on top and i'll have them take the drone and see if i can get them to go down in between the trees 
uh, and check out that hole. And uh, so by the time I got back out of there uh, and climbed up out, you know, and of course, mind you, I'm wearing a 28 pound um, tactical vest too. So it's like, you know, I'm so I've got level four plates that are just, they're heavy and, you know, it's hard, hard on the shoulders. And yeah. So I'm trying to go in and down out of these things, which most people would be like, you know, you're crazy for doing that. But, um, you know, it's just, you know, I think around that time frame, hunting season has started too, which is one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to make sure I had it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I got out of there and then we ended up taking, you know, they took that drone and, and then got it down in between. And then we looked and, and there was nothing. But, um, you know, then it was a matter of, okay, uh, nothing, nothing's, uh, nothing here. And then, you look at the terrain wise and you go, you know what? It's like you could, you could drop two sticks and, and you could, you could change the whole atmosphere in this place. There's a very under, a bigger understanding now as far as why people can go missing that. It's, uh, it's, it's thick. Yeah. I went out there too. And just to kind of take a look around hobo, I mean, even if you slipped and fell, I just don't think people realize like, you could easily be covered in brush or thorny, thorny, nasty plants in no time at all. And nobody's going to be, you know, digging through these real thick underbrush type of plants. Like it's just, it would be so easy to slip, fall and not be able to be seen from a ledge or something that would be safer for somebody to look from. That that was super apparent to me. And there's tons of little nooks and crannies all mm-hmm. along the creek bed. I mean, it was like Cave Central down there. There's so many little... Uh, holes and caves and it's it's uh it's yeah that's a super easy spot to slip fall and never be seen again i think yep exactly right and that's pretty much what i what i was faced with so at that point i just kind of told them i said look we need to get we need to get this narrowed down as far as what the story is and so we started to come down and the one main individual who you know, who's everybody's thinking that, that, you know, he had to have had something to do with it. I said, you know, let's go talk to him. And everybody looked at me like, right now? I'm like, yeah, right now. And so, of course, you know, we had a you know, few people behind us and whatnot. And so we went and pulled over and, and uh, there was a, it was an older group, the ones that everybody talks about, the older couple that was in the RV and mm-hmm. it was them. And, and, uh, of course, I come out and, you know, I'm all in tactical gear. So, of course, the look on their face was like, oh, boy. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, but, you know, they're very cordial and very nice, whatever. And, and uh, so the one person's um, um, girlfriend had come up to me and sort of asked me questions. And I said, I need to talk to your boyfriend. And she's like, okay, he's down the road there. And I'm like, is he by himself? And, you know, at this point, I don't know if he's with the other individual. And so now I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got two people who are known to law enforcement, had problems. You know, I hear about guns. I hear about, you know, all these different things. So I know he's at the end of this road. Uh, and so she starts to walk down there. And um, so I, I was, uh, I had some, you know, one of the other guys with me. And I said, uh, just let me go ahead and address this, whatever, just stand firm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so, but I knew that these two were involved with the unemployment scheme. Okay. Okay. Um, or, or I should say they signed up for it. So I knew that was my advantage. And so I knew right then and there that I was going to figure out whether or not he had anything to do with, with this whole disappearance. 
Um, and it's because one, I know that they're already guilty of one thing. That's the unemployment. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what I'm going to do is I hit them with it. I'm going to watch their reactions to see how their body language and everything else is. What's their reaction? You think? The things that I know that are fact that, you know, because people become animated. And so I started to walk down there and I see he's in this car that we knew about and he start he's at the end of it and he's revving the engine like as if he's going to uh, run us over. Oh. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to, he's going to try to run us over. So she's trying to calm it down saying, hey, they're not, you know, no, nobody's here to arrest you and stuff like that. I'm like going, oh, who's going to arrest you? No, we're not. No one's going to arrest you. It's like, no, you know. So I'm like, look, I just, just want to talk to you. That's all. That's it. Yeah. And, but he, he jumps out of the car and he's really kind of spastic and he just says, so you're not here to arrest him? Said, no, I'm not here to arrest you. I'm just here to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And so, um, so my biggest thing was, is I came in and, and I started with the one fact that I knew that he, that they were guilty of. And that was the unemployment. They got really animated. They did exactly what I thought they were going to do. They were going to try to, you know, oh, we didn't know this. We didn't know that. And we, we, they said that this, and, they, and I said, did you receive the cards? And they're like, yeah, well, well, yeah. I received X amount, whatever, and I said, and so so and so's, you know, signed you up for this, and and all the other people, and they're like, well, yeah, and so I'm like, okay, I got confirmation on that deal. So then I turn around and go, my understanding is, is that uh, that you had rented a vehicle, and and you potentially might have been driving around collecting cans in the middle of the night, and, and possibly hit Michael Bryson with the truck. And both of them just kind of stood there, just cold, blank faced. And it was right then and there I knew I'm like, they don't know nothing about this thing. Hmm. It went from a cold stop to it was a blank, like, huh? Like they truly just didn't know what you were talking it was, about. Yep. It was like he just said squirrel. Right. And so I was like, so then I went back to something else that I knew. And as far as the vehicles, and all of a sudden animated again, boom, 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 mm. boom. So like a trigger. I knew these trigger words. And I knew these triggers were, were working and I knew exactly what he was guilty of. So I was getting, I was getting, he, he was talking about it. And then when it came to the stuff he didn't know, it was just a blank stare. Boom. Yeah. Nothing to hide. That's probably why. I mean, you got, he really doesn't know. It sounds like, and then, so you <laughs> right. don't, yeah, you don't have to make up a story. Cause you're like, who now? Who, who's right, exactly. Michael Bryson? I don't know. Yeah. That makes sense. And it was. And so I basically left them with some as far as if they had, you know, if they if they had talked to anybody or heard anything or whatever, what I would, you know, just say if it was an accident or this and that, I just want you to go ahead. I want somebody you can relay the message to whoever that wherever they if, you know, if it was an accident and they hit them and they're scared or whatever, I want you to just take a bunch of field tape and I want you to mark a tree on the main road. That way we know as far as kind of a general location. They don't even have to say nothing. And I left it just like that. As to like where they maybe like hit, like if you're saying like maybe they hit him with a car, so you're you're leaving right. him with some ribbon, and you say, you know, if I leave here, it does it can be anonymous. You just take this ribbon and you go tie it around a tree or an area that you may or may not know that something did or did not, you know, just kind of like that, and just let him go with it, see what would happen. Yeah, I, I we didn't leave him the ribbon. We just told him to get some ribbon. I just said, what you do? I want you just to go ahead. We're going to come back up or whatever, mm-hmm. and. If, if somebody, cause I didn't know whether or not, you know, if, if for some reason that they might've, you know, or somebody might've brought it up in conversation or something and yeah. then they would say, Hey, go do this or whatever. Uh, so I was giving them that, that kind of that out. Sure. So to speak. 
Right. Hey, hey, accidents happen. I understand accidents happen. Right. So I wanted them to, I wanted to relieve the pressure so that maybe they would go ahead and if somebody did, but, but they did and they did, they just didn't know. And so I was, I was, we were coming back and I said, these guys aren't involved. Okay. Uh, I said, I know people are so dead set on as far as this. And I, I don't think they are one bit. I think that he's Mm. got deal stuff. I think that he does certain things or whatever. They're guilty of everything else. But this deal, I don't think they're a part of. For once, not so much. And so, um, so with that, we ended up going, um, so it ended up being, I think it's, you know, a couple more days and, and, you know, looking and then talking. And then that's when we ended up, um, I said, you know, I want to talk to Donovan. And he, Parrish was like, well, I, I was going to, you know, invite him to go have pizza or whatever. Maybe we could just, uh, have him talk to you and then go out pizza or whatever. And he's, you know, he's a good kid. And mm-hmm. I said, okay. Uh, I said, well, he goes, do you want to just go ahead and meet us there? And I said, well, I said, why don't you do this much? I said, why don't you guys just, why don't you just come here for whatever and then pick me up from the hotel and then we'll go. And so, what, um, what kind of prep is that like? So Donovan, I mean, as far as we know him, had him on the podcast and he, with someone we know that was um, kind of helping the Brysons out uh, those first 19 days out there um, seemed to be kind of a good link between the friends and the family, which, you know, we've, there's had there's been a little rift there. And so, um, you know, kind of last I talked with the Brysons at the very beginning of all this, Donovan was uh, kind of an ally to them that, you know, they were they were leaning on a little bit. And so what kind of um, triggered you to say, well, you know, let's cut, let's bring him in and uh, see, you know, was it just I'm I'm questioning everybody and I want to know or was there something going on there yeah. specifically? No, no, it was just one of those things where it's like if there was anything that he was holding back because of the fact that he, you know, the Bryson's had been there when he did the interview, I felt that he wasn't going to say in front of him. So mm-hmm. what we were going to do is just go and have pizza and then i was going to talk to him and say hey you know can i talk to you alone or whatever do you mind talking to me real quick and um so that was the plan but you know they showed up and i met him whatever seemed like a good kid and everything but the one thing that i i've always kept into uh perspective when it comes to an investigation is that usually the ones who are trying to be the most helpful are usually the ones who are involved are trying to keep you steer clear from whatever direction so I wasn't at that point. I wasn't totally sold. You know, I needed to do my own uh, kind of uh, get my own feel for it. Right. And so they they came up to the to the hotel, and um, so I, we shook hands, and everything, and, and whatnot. And uh, so I said, "Hey, I said, do you mind uh, uh, talking with me, uh, just you and I? Because uh, I'd rather talk to you about you know." kind of a more personal one-on-one without the Bryce, you know, without the Bryson's being present. He's like, yeah, that's cool. And so I said, well, I said, I, I videotape everything because that way I can keep notes and I can go ahead and, and go back and forth. And he's like, oh yeah, not a problem. And uh, so he sat down and we talked and we started to talk and uh, you know, just casual talk. And, you know, he's pretty much starting to talk about the same stuff that he did on the, po- on the podcast with, mm-hmm. uh, or not podcast, but with the Rick Dancer one. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, this thing kept coming up that people were had, relaying messages and stuff about as far as this puddling. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to ask him about that. And I said, so you want to tell me, uh, about this puddling? Um, 
because uh, let me step back for a second. Mm -hmm. So we went to dinner night before and we met with somebody else and they had explained to us that a couple of people uh, in this group had been puddled. And so they were present with it. So we knew as far as who had been puddled. Yeah. And so I, I have this, you know, from a, from a dinner interview conversation uh, with somebody else. And so I asked on him, I said, do you, I said, you want to tell me about this puddling? He's all, well, what do you mean? And, and he kind of, he started to kind of get this kind of staunch attitude and he goes, we don't need to talk about that. Why don't we just uh, talk about the things that are going to help as far as find Michael Bryson? So at that point he caught it, he, he caught an attitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I said, it is pertinent to the investigation uh, as far as to try to find this whole thing, because if he was puddled by somebody else and things, I need to know as far as who does it and if they were there and all those other things. So I said, so it is imperative. So I kind of, you know, as far as talking wise, I was very stern as far as my talking. I said, you know, look, I said, I'm the guy you don't lie to, period. That's all there is. And I said, you can tell me this stuff. It's not a big deal, you know. Mm -hmm. So he explained to me, you know, as far as that he and another guy had been puddled uh, by one of the individuals who had had been at the party and then left. And then surprisingly, they turned around and came back and went and got. Okay. Uh, so then a red flag's going up to me going, okay, so this guy's a puddler. And uh, I said, so was anybody else puddled at the party? And, and he said, well, I know of one person that was puddled. And I said, well, who was puddled? And he, he says, well, they put, you know, they, I know that Lazarus was puddled. I said, Lazarus. I said, okay. So that's some good friends. So you puddled this guy, whatever. And, uh, so we started getting in, you know, and a lot of it was, you know, he's mainly, he's, he's really trying to be protective of, of one certain individual that he hangs out with. Who's, um, uh, you know, who, you know, I find out is one of the key drug players in your guys' area. Um, and, of course, with the other people who are throwing the party, uh, just a couple of them, um, they're, they're at, that's their, their business, is in the drug business. So Yeah, and we've kind of heard that, too, on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, names are yeah, flying around, yeah. and, and there's lots of accus accusations. So, you know, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah. And it's, okay, yeah, go ahead. So it's... Uh, so, you know, it, it, to me, it's like, okay, he's being protective about as far as this. But the one thing that I was noticing as I'm gathering and I'm, and I'm remembering through that uh, think something that kind of sticks out to me, and that is, is it, it wasn't the four o'clock thing that was setting up to me. What was setting up to me is that at around the same certain time frame, everybody had some place to be. There was people that, well, they either went to bed or they were going to go and do some sort of, of uh, they were going to head out and go, you know, to a, do a store run, supposedly. And I'm like, so everybody's focused on, on as far as this, you know, when he supposedly, you know, this story about him leaving. I'm like, no, that's not what happened. There's more something centered, focused around as far as around 1130 or so when, when everybody decides that they need to be somewhere. So it's kind of like, to me, it's like you get this vision in your head of it's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, it's like you got the munchkins and all of a sudden the witch shows up and all of a sudden they scatter. Hmm. And it's like all of a sudden that happens. And then after she leaves, they all of a sudden then they come back out, which is right around four o'clock. And hmm. I'm like, something's taking place at this time frame. So that's what's really stood out to me. It's like, OK, everybody. That's the one thing that that coincides that they don't realize that they're not talking about. And that's the part as far as when. 
they all decided to go do something. On a beer run, right? Because even Warren, uh, in our fifth episode, you know, Warren says there were these four individuals and um, he wasn't certain who they were, it sounded like, but he even gave them money to go pick up uh, a pack of cigarettes and a two liter Coke for him. And so, like, this is not just, you know, oh, I think these people might have disappeared. You know, it sounds like these people are actually, like, taking orders of other people and exchanging money to go on this trip. Um, Or do you have any idea who that is? Well, and that's just it. It's like, so, you know, with all these different variables, people are talking about certain things. And so that's why I was saying, as far as this, there was these clues that people were talking about that no one else had picked up on. And I was picking them up and I was putting them together going, okay, wait a second. You have this that took place. You have this that took place. And you have this that took place. So, but none of them knew. And they probably still don't have any idea, uh, or they do, uh, of what they were. They were actually having key components to this whole thing. So I ended up, you know, we, we did our, our you know, I, I wrapped up my interview with uh, with Donovan and whatnot. And uh, we were sitting in, in there and, and we were talking about guns and all this other stuff. And I had my AR in the case and I put the case on the bed. I opened it up and let him hold it. And he's like, man, this is just like modern warfare. And we were joking around and stuff like that. And, and uh, everything was fine. And so we put it back in the case, lock it up, and then him and I, we walked down and met Parrish and another guy from UPS uh, down for pizza. And we just joked around and all that other stuff. So the the interview was very, uh, you know, it was very relaxed. I mean, you can see the whole thing. It's very relaxed and um, nothing of being held. You know, I know that there was there was comments that are being, uh, you know, courted into saying that the held at gunpoint and all this other stuff, which is a bunch of malarkey. Um, and you actually but, have a video of the entire thing. Is that right? That is correct. So, so the, there's the proof part. that there yep. was no you never held a gun to him nor ever threatened him with a gun. And you have that video proof on you have it a recording no well i have it but the sheriff's department has all of it so every okay. everything that i ended up doing was handed over to the sheriff's department so okay. um hopefully so, you have a copy too just side note though right BYA, of course so and that's why i just laughed at that whole thing that was that stuff that was being said it was like yeah okay but um so we go through and and uh we're sitting you know it's after the end of the day and parish and i are, are sitting in the hotel and uh, you know, there's some jokes being sent from, you know, Tina sending us like snaps and it was quite funny. You know, I mean, there was, you know, the, the, the voice altering stuff and, you know, here they're like, we, she's sending stuff like we, we hired Rambo from Idaho and <laughs> it, was, it was comical, you know, so it kind of lightened the mood. And then, yeah. and then all of a sudden, um, we get a message, the one message that we've been waiting for. And, uh, the one, the one thing that I needed and, um, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, wait a second. Next week, we'll pick back up with the rest of Brett's interview. It's a lot of information and he's trying to keep some of the sensitive details out since it's still an open investigation. If new details are released, I'll do my best to fill in what I can. Next time on Nowhere to Be Found. You know, in all fairness to them, I think a lot of it has to do as far as being afraid. Seven days, we figured out three cases, stolen vehicle, an unemployment thing, and this deal. I see right through you, and I know everything about you. 
everything. Justice will be served. That's all there is to it. We've been asked how our listeners can contribute to the show. So we set up an account with Patreon. Check out the link in our show notes if you're interested in supporting our cause. You can also find it on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com.